So, now on to today's episode. <laughs> no, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. Okay. I do this every time. Hey everyone, my name is Alicia Miranda, and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I'm the chief executive here at IG, and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, businesses, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique insight into both donors and fundraisers and want to help them better understand each other. And so, we bring you season two of What Donors Want, our fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising, straight from the donor's mouth. Welcome back to What Donors Want. As you probably know by now, or you might recognize my voice, my name is Rachel Stephenson Chef, and I am the producer and host of the show. So first and foremost, of course, we hope this finds you well and safe and healthy. Um, during this COVID-19 outbreak, my goodness, we actually recorded this episode a few months ago now. It was before the outbreak and I was going back to edit it and I was listening to my introduction and I thought, oh no, 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 I have to re-record this. It makes no sense not to acknowledge the times that we're all living in, particularly given the incredibly challenging impact that it's had on fundraising and on a nonprofit work and, and organizational resilience really around the world. So this has really changed the landscape of fundraising. It's changed everything about our lives and, um, and and we just wanted to let you know that we're here we're always a virtual coffee away if you want to reach out to us and we hope also that a resource like what donors want a, a virtual and free resource can be useful during this time and can provide some degree of inspiration or learning or capacity building during a time when we're all stuck at home so this episode um, marks the end of season two of the show of What Donors Want. And just like season one, before we launch into another round of donor interviews in season three, which we're going to be doing very soon, there's actually going to be a coronavirus-related episode in that lineup at the beginning. Uh, before we dive into that, we wanted to just take a quick moment to have a bit of reflection on season two of the show, speaking with the IG team about their favorite insights and takeaways and how that compares to season one. And you know, if, if you're to listen for just 20 minutes, what can you walk away with? What, what are some tangible recommendations and insights that might be useful for you and your work? I will also say, um, I know just to, just to re-emphasize, we did record this before the outbreak, so we were all in the same room, uh, but I promise it was safe at the time. So uh, for listeners who might not know, we started What Donors Want back in June 2017 and went really with a mission to have fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent conversations about major gifts fundraising and philanthropy with donors themselves. The whole idea to give fundraising advice straight from the donor's mouth. So we've now done two seasons. We've spoken to some of the world's most influential funders, and we've got now um, just under 25,000 unique listens in over 90 countries. So from Tanzania to Hong Kong, India, Poland, Australia, Canada, the US, UK, it's really quite extraordinary. And we hear from organizations all the time that use the show as a training resource. And we also hear from some of our donor guests who tell us how useful these reflective conversations have been for them. So of course, before we dive into it, uh, we need to send a massive, massive thank you to our brilliant season two sponsor, the Siegel Family Foundation. We're extremely grateful for their partnership and support, and it was such an honor to bring What Donors Want to their AGM in September. That was the What Grantees Want episode, and it was really one of my favorites. We couldn't do this without the Siegel Family Foundation, and we're so thrilled to collaborate with them. So a huge thank you to the family, to the Siegel family, to Andy, to Share One, to the entire foundation team. Uh, 
um, we're just incredibly grateful to to be in this with you. And finally, of course, a big thank you to all of you, to our listeners and to our guests who have made our second season unbelievably interesting and fun. We couldn't do this without you guys. So now on to the regular programming, to the season two recap, and uh, we hope you enjoy the conversation. So I'm sitting here in the IG office with our fabulous team. Um, And those of you who have listened since season one, you'll remember that in our recap, we did, of course, we did a speed round question because we have to walk the walk of our podcast. And last year, it was the very important question of which Beyonce are you? And so, you know, anyone who listened, you will know all about our personalities from our answers. So we thought it only fair to reprise that kind of question. But I'm going to go around now, actually, and ask everyone to introduce themselves, and I'm going to post the speed round question, which is, which Friends character would you be? So, here we go. Over to Emily. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily, the managing director, and um, the Friends character I would be is Monica, because she's very organized, but she organizes fun things as well. (laughs) Organized fun. Organized fun. She is very fun. Hi, everyone. I'm Yasmin, junior advisor. And um, friends, character-wise, I was told I would be a Joey. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know why, but it's something around (laughs) the lines of, yes, half Italian and pretty cool, I was told. Oh, yeah. So I'll take it. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Amy, junior advisor. Um, I had to ask the team who I'd be, and they told me I'm I'm Phoebe, um, partly because she is an environmentalist. I'm the eco-warrior of the office, and um, I'm going to whip this team into shape. So there we go, (laughs) recycling all around. Hi, everyone. I'm Gabby, and I've thought about this question for a sec, and I think I would be Rachel, but... A very much wannabe Joey. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren, a senior associate on the team. Um, I was told that I was Rachel, but I couldn't think that was right. So I tried again, and I became Phoebe. And I was told that she was a wild card but knew what was most important in life. So I think that fits well. I can definitely see that. (laughs) That makes sense. And uh, I'm Carlos. Hey, everybody out there. Um... I did the BuzzFeed quiz, too, and I got Joey. Yeah. So me and Yasmin are the, are the cool ones. That's right. That's right. And hi, everyone. Of course, I am Rachel. I'm a senior advisor here at IG. And I think, so for reference as well, we did a BuzzFeed quiz, but we all got kind of strange answers. When I did the BuzzFeed quiz, I was told that I was Emma, which is Rachel's daughter, which I find uh, slightly strange, probably on brand. Not um, a single line in the whole show <laughs> at all. Yeah, I just don't really understand that. Although I was told the other day that like somebody tweeted that if, like, if, if Friends were to do an episode now... Emma would be 18 or whatever it is. Are they doing a friend's Way reunion? to make us feel. I know. Isn't that crazy? So it's going to be my big moment. Right. I think so. <laughs> I think it's because in the BuzzFeed quiz, you have to pick your favorite movie, and I chose Ratatouille. So um, <laughs> I love that movie. think what you will, but it's fantastic. Uh, but I actually think personality-wise, I'm probably a Monica, like Emily, just pretty, pretty type A, but you know. Uh, but also fun. But also Still fun. fun. We're so fun. fun. Mandatory fun. Mandatory <laughs> fun. <laughs> 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 
exactly. Minutes exactly. Exactly. Um, so there you go. That is us. We are here. Uh, most of us have been on an episode uh, throughout the season. Some of us are newer to the team, but have listened to the to the podcast. Um, for those of you who have been with been with us through the whole season, thank you, of course, for listening. Uh, it's been quite an interesting one. It's been a little bit different than season one in the sense that, of course, we've kept the the ethos very similar. We've interviewed lots of donors about what they want. At the same time, we've expanded that to include other audiences. So we've had several thought leaders. We've had uh, someone from Oxfam, Tilly Peacock, the head of research there. We've had um, the author of Decolonizing Wealth, Edgar Villanueva, who's just an amazing, amazing activist in the space. We had the authors of Generation Impact, who wrote a really great book on next-gen fundraising. Uh, we've also interviewed two intermediaries, which has been quite interesting, especially for us as intermediaries at IG. Uh, those were Barclays, the head of philanthropy there, Emma Turner. And then, of course, um, Sarah Elisa Miller, who's the head of philanthropy to the Miranda family, the, the family related not to Carlos and Alicia, um, but to Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, the, the Broadway um, and entertainment sensation. So that was an incredibly cool conversation to be a part of. And, uh, and then finally, the other kind of off-piste guest that we've had is actually interviewing grantees. And that was at the Siegel Family Foundation's AGM this year in New York in September. They are our fabulous sponsor, and, and we're so grateful for their partnership on the podcast, but we had the amazing opportunity to actually take back some of the insights that we've learned from past seasons and test them with three of their rock star grantees in front of a live audience and say, okay, this is what donors have told us what they want on the show. What do you think? Is this reasonable? How do they make this possible for you? How do they make this difficult for you? And um, oh my God, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. It was all kinds of brilliant and it was really cool to take that donor advice and bring it down to reality a little little bit and see how that could resonate um, and translate across different nonprofits. And then, of course, um, finally, we've had some of our traditional donors. So we've had a major donor, Sonal Patel, which we did live at the IOF convention. Uh, we've had a foundation, Garfield Weston, super interesting. Quite a, a guest list, I must say. It's, it's very, very cool to sit down with all these people and hear what they have to say. So the format of today, as I said, is really talking about our favorite insights from the season. So I want to turn it over to the team and ask you all the kind of final question that we we always ask our podcast guests, what is the one key takeaway or you know, interesting insight or thing that stuck with you over season two? And, and what do you want to make sure that listeners really take away um, from this part of the podcast? I'll jump in. Um, I'm actually going to kind of cheat and go straight for the what grantees want point because I think it was so valuable, especially given that we hear so many similar things from different types of donors. There's a lot of really common themes in what we've heard over season one and season two. And to then have grantees reflect on what that actually meant for them in fundraising practice was really interesting. And I think one of the biggest questions we always have our philanthropy clients speak to us about, and we've heard this on the podcast as well, is this question of should I be giving unrestricted funding versus, you know, restricted project funding or whatever and you know how do I make that decision how do I think about the risk in that and the other side of that coin which was um, referenced in the grantee episode was um, how sometimes organizations respond to that kind of perceived desire from donors by artificially restricting that funding so going out and fundraising just for projects or talking about a specific part of their work rather than selling the whole overall vision of what they're trying to achieve and kind of bringing donors into that journey and inspiring them with the, the whole picture rather 
rather than you know specific details and i think that that's one thing where we see the disconnection between donors and fundraisers um, most prominently is that actually there's a shared desire there but the, the miscommunication is meaning that the, the problem keeps recurring in a lot of contexts and so i thought that was it really just reinforced what we thought we already knew um, from both sides of that coin and i, I really loved that insight yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. I, I loved that part of that recording. And um, when Ash said that, she was the one who said that on the stage, you could just, you could feel the room nodding. There was like 200 nods in that room. It was, it really, I think it really resonated. So it's something for listeners to definitely keep in mind. Given that I prepared so thoroughly for this. <laughs> um, th that's not true. It, it's a hundred percent true. Prove it, prove it. Um, I want to, it's, I think the thing that stuck out for me is the consistency of a lot of our messaging from many of the people that we interviewed in season two from season one, which is we're starting to see, obviously we know we know, we know know there's a lot of trends out there, but like even in our own kind of 20 episodes that we've done, um, there's, a, there's a lot of trends across both seasons. And one of them that really stuck out for me was um, that basically every um, individual major gift donor that we have interviewed, um, thinking of Nick Jenkins and Paul Lindley back in season one, Throwback Thursday, and um, and Sonal Patel, who you interviewed, as you said, at the IOF this year. It's really about kind of injecting an entrepreneurial spirit in your fundraising. And I just think, I mean, it's something that I always did when I was a fundraiser that we tell a lot of our clients are. It's not necessarily about creating anything new, but it is about presenting um, your, you know, what it is that you're fundraising for, the cause that you're trying to move the needle for um, in, in a very dynamic entrepreneurial way. And I think that that, that is something that we, we've heard, we hear over and over again that really engages a certain, not everyone, but a certain kind of donor. And when you're dealing with a certain kind of donor, in this case, major gift donors, philanthropists that made their own money or who are one generation um, from the person that made the money by being very entrepreneurial, I think that that's such solid and wonderful advice uh, for fundraisers. And it's something that people can't hear, I think, enough. Yeah, Sonal was absolutely brilliant. And the, the that trend across major donors was very much stood out. I also loved Sonal had this great quote about comparing relationship building and cultivation to dating. Um, and she had this great metaphor that ran throughout her episode and it got yeah. a lot of laughs from the audience. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's it's and essentially... I know that a lot as well. Yeah. I think also just picking up on the entrepreneurial point that it's not just about... Um, the messaging, right? Like presenting things in an entrepreneurial way, but so much about entrepreneurship is um, is about identifying and meeting a need that's not being met, right? There's a lot in you know successful business, successful investing that's really about understanding a market or understanding a group of people and meeting their needs, whether that's through selling them something or delivering something um, that will make their lives better. And so really bringing that into how you think about your programs and how you connect what your organization is doing to literally the money that is needed to make that successful and make it sustainable and you know justify that cost to somebody who would be giving the money or investing the money is is just a slight change in thinking and a slight connection between teams that sometimes don't talk to each other that well within organizations but will really resonate with donors that have the potential to then really get on board with that way of working and so i think it's it's not just a, a communications question it's it's a kind of a way of working as well 100 percent so speaking about um, communication, but from a different perspective, I really liked when uh, Tilly from Oxfam spoke about transparency and communicating challenges, especially as a form of fundraising, you're really trying to paint this perfect picture for the donor. You know, you want them to feel 
confidence that their money is being well spent um, and that everything's going to have the impact they expected. But uh, it's important to communicate challenges and that can be challenging. <laughs> um, so I think it's important that to understand also that donors uh, are willing to understand those challenges. And um, as long as you're an organization that can demonstrate that you are taking those on and reacting um, in the way that's best for your beneficiaries, then that's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Open communication. 100%. I think literally every single guest ever and probably in the future has said that point. You know, you just have to be open and honest. They're going to find out eventually and they're going to know. So you better be the one to tell them first. Um, yeah, I mean, Tilly put it beautifully in, in, in her episode and it's we cannot stress that enough. I know that that seems like common sense sometimes, right? Like just, you know, be honest about what you can and can't do. But the price of not doing that is way too high. Absolutely. Tilly also said that um, by understanding challenges as a donor, you are better um, positioned to be able to help and really solve those problems that um, fundraisers and the uh, charitable organizations are facing. And that goes to kind of link into what we were hearing from various um, points of view from research. So, for example, in the uh, Generation Impact book, Shana and Michael, really their research really highlighted that there's a rise in sophisticated, engaged, and strategic donors. So what we're seeing, and we see this more and more at IG's, uh, in through IG's work, is that uh, new uh, donors, younger donors, next gen we could call them, um, are more inquisitive and really wanting to learn. So by being open and honest about those challenges, uh, it's really going to help them learn how to support organizations best and in a way that really suits the organization. Yeah, it's a great point. And yeah, as, as you said, donors might be able to help you, give them that chance, right? Yeah, and I think also this speaks to um, something that I think came through Sonal's interview re really strongly, which is how much she relies on her partners to tell her what the need is and what the challenges are. And it's not just that, you know, one organization she's giving to is telling her what the need is in their remit, but specifically she treats that meaningful relationship with her partners as, as a kind of guidance for her philanthropy. And we've definitely seen that play out um, in some of our uh, charity clients that have been able to build that dynamic with their donors, where they end up finding that their donors come to them for philanthropy advice, not necessarily, you know, how much more money should I give you specifically, but a okay, I'm funding you because I care about this issue. What else is happening in this space that I don't know about? And if you can if you can bring that trust by genuinely communicating challenges and positioning um, yourself as an expert on the issue, not just specifically your programs, that can add so much value to the donor's perception of what you know, not just what you're doing, but what you know, and mean that you become the kind of place that they go to for that. Totally. So having joined the IG team two weeks ago, I made a <laughs> huge effort. I know. I made a huge <laughs> effort to download every episode. Oh. Luckily, I have a long commute, so I really took advantage of that to uh, keep them all fresh in my head just for this moment. Um, but something that really struck me was during the Garfield Weston Foundation um, conversation, when the team there um, mentioned how important it is for the person, the point of contact that they work with at um, a grantee organization to have a true comprehensive understanding of the proposal that they're putting in front of a funder um, and how critical it is to not only understand maybe what the program is that you are um, working towards, but also understand the finances um, so that you don't always have to go to yeah. another member of the organization. You 
have that holistic knowledge of what's um, happening. Um, and I just thought that was critical because it shows that you're passionate, it shows that you're truly in it, and you're ready to work closely with that funder to um, get the results that you both are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. That was it was a really interesting point because they, as you said, they emphasize you know if you are the main point of contact on a proposal, you need to be able to answer questions about budgets. You know, you might not have all the details, but you need totally. an answer. Yes. And as you said, it demonstrates that you're coordinated as a team, that you're informed, that you're engaged and embedded in the organization. And if you're not able to answer that specifically, it really reflects poorly. Um, and, and I know sometimes that can be difficult, but it, it's so important. Again, like this is not, this shouldn't be the thing that's preventing you from getting the funding you need for your amazing causes. If Completely. this is the thing, it, it's such a shame because what you do is too important. While we're speaking about the Garfield Weston episode, actually, I wanted to add um, one very interesting, interesting point made by Flora and Filippa. And it was about... Um, the kind of research element. So they were saying, obviously, a lot of the people we interviewed during um, in our episodes in the past um, talk about the relationship-based approach and how important it is to build a relationship with the program officers, um, you know, whilst you're looking for funds. Um, but in this specific instance, um, uh, Flora and Philippa shared the fact that they um, really don't prefer to um, to have fundraisers approach them before they even apply for funding. But what they um, what they prefer is for organizations to apply through their online portal, and then once the first phase is over, then that's when they they like to um, kind of build the relationships uh, with individuals. And this is to give everyone an opportunity to um, to get funding, so that not only the ones who are let's say London based or have access to um, to the foundation um, have the chance to um, to get funding but it's for everyone to have a very egalitarian yeah. approach yeah that was a unique one I yeah. must say that was one of the only guests we've spoken to who did say that exact thing very clearly they said we we don't have and they mentioned we don't have the capacity to have 10,000 coffees you know a year we, there's just truly not enough time and it is exclusive then to London-based organizations um, but at the same time time, even, even while they said that throughout the interview, they did emphasize the importance of having a trusting relationship with their prospects, with their grantees, even if that doesn't initially start from a coffee. But they, they did mention, we need to trust you. We need to know that you know that budget figure. Like you said, Lauren, we need to know um, that we can put you in front of our trustees in a way. So that is, it, it was a bit of an exceptional case. Yet, at the same time, the importance of a good relationship is still simmering under every single piece of advice that they gave. I think the key takeaway from that is just how important it is to research your donor really thoroughly. Every single donor, although there are trends, are different, and everyone has their own priorities and their own way of working. So really getting to the bottom of that and really doing research before applying anywhere for a grant or mm -hmm. reaching out for a, a relationship and going through that cultivation stage is vital. I think another key um, kind of key takeaway is that again is that we can't stress this enough hence the even though we joke about it I think why there is something kind of important about the speed round is that ultimately people give to people and that's definitely a common denominator across every single interview it's like getting to know your donors as you know Amy said it that there are definitely trends but every donor is a world and you do have to do you know you do have to be uh, kind of prepared you have to do your homework mm -hmm. you have to take that BuzzFeed quiz yeah. <laughs> 
that's really the main takeaway um, <laughs> that you should walk away with this from. If I may add one of my favorite insights from the season, I think, I mean, I'm so, I feel so privileged to be able to be involved in all of these conversations in some way. Every guest is amazing, I re and I really do think that. I think there are some interviews, though, that really stick out for me, uh, for me and, and kind of stay with me. And one of them was Edgar Villanueva, who wrote Decolonizing Wealth, which is an amazing, amazing book that everyone should read. It's, um, it's very much in this wave of this new kind of accountability that we're experiencing in the philanthropy space, very much you know, alongside Anand's book, Winners Take All. Um, I had the privilege of sitting down with Edgar in New York in his office and talking about the ways that sometimes fundraisers are complicit in the problematic power dynamics that we all know philanthropy has to some degree. Um, it, you know, it's a complicated conversation, probably not for this moment, um, but please do read the book. I think hearing Edgar's perspective was so fascinating because he's in so many ways an activist in philanthropy, trying to make it more equitable, trying to change some of the power dynamics and get communities really involved in decision-making and, and positions of seniority, which is amazing. Um, and he's, so he's kind of trying to fix the system, but he's trying to do that from within. So he actually works in philanthropy. He's, uh, you know, he, he's a very, very senior person in actually several foundations. Um, so he was able to speak to it from the perspective of a program officer, but also say, you know, yes, philanthropy is, um, there are problems and we need to address them, but also fundraisers can help in addressing them. So I thought that was particularly cool in terms of, you know, really sitting at the table as an equal partner, being able to push back on your donor, um, understanding your boundaries in that kind of way. And he also said something um, which I loved, where I'm going to actually read this quote just so that listeners have it with them. So he said, um, even when you work inside philanthropy, you never cease to be a fundraiser. If the money is not yours, you have to justify and make the pitch internally to fund groups. And I think that's such a key one because, you know, whomever your contact is at an institution, as he says, if it's not your money, if you're you know, working with someone in a family office or in a foundation, a company, that person is making the pitch for you to their key stakeholders. So you need to get them all the information they need to do that well and efficiently. And you need to ask them. It's so legitimate to say, what do you, you know, who do you need to make the case to and how can I make your job easier? What format do you want this in? You know, what can I do to get this through faster? And I think that's a really key thing for people to remember is that understanding the levels of decision making and buy-in that go in behind the scenes after you submit your proposal. And I think there's some relationship building opportunities that come out of that at the more administrative level as well, thinking about organizations like Garfield Weston, who don't necessarily have the capacity to go for coffees for everyone, but showing that you're like respecting their process, that you've read their guidelines or whatever, but you, you, you know, reaching out with a question that is just to kind of sense check their preferences or to kind of like appreciate the work that it takes for them to read over your proposal and making sure you're getting it right. That in itself is a way to start building respect and trust and, and relationships, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to add that I think um, the um, Edgar's kind of decolonizing wealth um, as, as, a, as a piece of work, but also as the kind of ripples that it's created is really important to watch as fundraisers because one of the things that we've heard a lot of fundraisers express anxiety about is the response to critiques of philanthropy on the part of donors. So how will that affect their giving? How will it affect the risks that they're you know, willing to take or you know, the, whether they give less or whether they are less public about what they're doing? And um, I think that that is a a legitimate fear, but the solutions that Edgar suggests, rather than just the critiques, but the solutions for how philanthropy can be made better, is definitely something that I think will empower donors to change rather than run away and, and, or feel afraid. So I think that that's a kind of quite heartening and something that fundraisers, as well as reading it, could, could do to kind of weave into their conversations with donors where, where they're able to have them. All right. Well, I think 
we're going to wrap it up now. Thank you all so much for being on this very special episode. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's so, you know, hopefully you got to meet the, for listeners, you get to get a bit more of a sense of who we are behind the scenes, everything. Um, but we really appreciate you listening. And uh, I really appreciate all of you guys, my amazing team, for being here and taking time today to chat podcast. Amazing. Pleasure. All right. Woo! On to season three. So that's all we've got for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay tuned uh, for our third season, which will be dropping very soon. We've already got some of the interviews in the pipeline and we're about to record an episode that's all about coronavirus. So there will be one early in the season all about that as well. Of course, um, now or in the future, please do continue to get in touch with us. Any feedback you have, any questions, any requests for our third season, we welcome it all. You know where to find us, uh, Twitter, at IG underscore advisors. Or if you want to reach out to me or any of the team personally, you can find all of our emails and information on our website. That's impactandgrowth.com. And we're always just a virtual coffee away if you'd like. So thanks again for listening, for your support over the season. We hope this finds you again well and safe and healthy and uh, and continuing to stay as inspired as possible with, with your jobs and with your fund raising during this really really challenging time so we're here for you we're with you and uh and we feel you so thank you again for all of your incredible work um especially during this time and of course thank you to our sponsor again the Siegel Family Foundation for being our fabulous partner and for making all of this possible we really really appreciate it and we will see you all in season three soon Hey everyone, my name is Alicia Miranda, and welcome to What Donors Want. Hey, I'm Alicia, and we do these cool things. <laughs> coffee, coffee, coffee. Okay. Hey everyone, my name is Alicia Miranda, and welcome to What Donors Want. <laughs> Three to 5% less. Okay. <laughs> hey everyone, my name is Alicia Miranda, and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. That's it. That's the one.